to go ahead and turn to Psalms, chapter 86, that's where we'll be starting this morning. I want to encourage you, even if you are not a normal worshiper, you may want to have a ride in your temple today. We're going to be going through a lot of different verses, so you want to write those down, and try to follow up on those maybe later in the week when you have your your Bible. Last week, if you were not here, we started a sermon series entitled Worship, um, with the idea that worship is a, is a connection point between the individual and the community. That if we desire to be healthy believers, if we desire to go deep with the Lord and, and to have a faith that's alive and well, that we must, we must understand personal worship. But the same is true in that if we desire to be a healthy church, if we desire to be a church that's making healthy believers, if we desire to be a church that is serving the Lord well, that we must, des- we must know worship at a, at a corporate level as well. And so it's a good connection point with us. And last week, we kind of looked at the, the what is worship, and we gave it a definition, or rather we borrowed a definition um, from Dr. Witten. And the definition that we gave to worship was focusing on and responding to God. Focusing on and responding to God. And we talked a little bit about how we do that. We do that through creation as we see all of what God has done. And we marvel at how he has put things in motion and at how he sustains it. We talked about his word, how we see him through the very thing, the very book that he has given us, his speech put into written word. We see it. Maybe most importantly in Jesus Christ and how he came in flesh, how God himself stepped out of heaven into flesh and he lived among us and spoke among us. And so what what we're going to do this morning, though, is we're going to just focus on him. John Piper has a great quote. It says, sometimes the point of the sermon, the message of the sermon is behold me, God. And this morning... That is my hope, that is my prayer, that as we go through Scripture this morning, as we look at the Word of God, that we would stop, that we would put everything else out of our mind, that we would take, get rid of all of the distractions. Um, as Paul says, we would get rid of all the chains so that we may focus upon Him this morning and remember and marvel at this great God that we serve. So hopefully by now you found Psalms chapter 86. We are going to be looking this morning at verses 8 through 10. So if you would stand so that we may honor the reading of God's word this morning, then we will do that together. David is praying here. And in the middle of this prayer, in verse 8, he says this. He said, "There, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we stand in your presence this morning and we marvel. Father, I pray this morning that you would lift up our pastors, that you lift up uh, other places where you have spoken to us and you've served us today. Our hearts would be tender. Lord, would 
sustained and reaffirmed and marveled in the God that we serve, we would reflect what we see in him. David here in his prayer in verse 10 says, For you are great and do wondrous things. That word for there is the idea of because. He's talking beforehand about that there's no other God, that no one has any works like him. He's talking about that all the nations that God has created, all the people that God has created, that they will worship God. And we're told um, in Revelation and on that all knees will bow. And we get this great picture of all humanity understanding who God is and who Jesus Christ is. But why will they worship? psalmist says, for you are great, and you do wondrous things. So this morning, I want us to briefly look, briefly look at who this great God is, and we are only going to scratch the surface of who he is. There's no way that we could ever look into the depths of his personality. In fact, we're going to skip through several of his attributes today, and even in that, we are just going to just going to dip our pinky in the waters of each one of those. There's no way that we can, in one morning, truly miss the who he is and how great he is. But I want us to just take a snapshot this morning so that we too can understand the greatness of our God and our response to it so that we may focus on him when we fall short in worship. One of the things the psalmist says here that probably we need to start with is he says there at the end of verse 10, you alone are God. God is the only God. He's the only one. We see this throughout Scripture. It's what sets him apart is that he is the only God. He is the one true God who has created everything and sustains everything. It's what set Israel apart. The fact that they worshipped one God rather than all of the other nations around them who worshipped multiple gods and had a God for the river and had a God for the sun, had a God for the weather and a God for the crops. But Israel stood out among all of them because they said, no, there's one and he is over all things. And God lays this out throughout his throughout scripture we see it in the law we see it in deuteronomy 439 moses is speaking to the people and he says this he says know therefore today and lay it in your heart that the lord is god in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other put it in your heart treasure it away know this for sure let this be a foundational point that there is only one God and he is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our adoration. We see God himself speak through the prophets as he uses his servant Isaiah. In Isaiah 46, 9, God says this. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
says, remember the things that I've done. Remember the crossing of the great sea, the Red Sea. Remember how I have triumphed over my enemies through you. Remember how I have saved you time and time again. Remember how I have a relationship with you special, O O country, O people of Israel. Remember that I am God. There's nothing special in believing that, James says. He goes goes on to make the point that we must obey him. It's a rudimentary fact that God is one. Yet so often we get distracted by details. We get distracted by the folly of the world. We get distracted by our own ego. We get distracted by what we can do or what technology can do. Or we get distracted by the beauty of other things. Well, it's because you have done something wrong. 
you've done something wrong and you've brought this upon yourself and they were totally out off base with that. And Job knows that and he begins to tell them, look, I haven't done anything wrong and he was right to say that. He's like, I haven't done anything to deserve this. But then Job takes it a step farther as we go longer and longer through that book and he begins to talk about not only defend himself against his friends, but he begins to say things like, if I could just have an audience, if I could just have a conversation with God, I could defend myself and God would see that I don't deserve this. I know that I could convince God that I I didn't, I haven't earned this. And he begins to imply that he knows better than God, that God somehow made a mistake in these things. And he begins to talk like, I I just want a face-to-face meeting with him. That's all I want. That's what I'm asking for. God, after Job goes on and on in this book, in chapter 38, God offers this request to Job. And I want you to see in every part of Job, and I'm going to read this through the whole, but let's just read what he's requesting of God. I want you to see in Job, that darkens his counsel by the words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man, and I will crush you and make the you make a name for yourself. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, O heavens. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, and who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of of God shouted for joy? Or who set the splendid sea with its doors and the burst forth of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and put darkness its clothing down and prescribed limits for it and set bars to the door. And said, thus far you shall come, O heavens, and here shall your cloud rest. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it may make that it may take hold of the fruits of earth, and the wicked shall be taken out of it. Have you winnowed into the springs of the sea, or walked the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, O the gates of deep darkness? Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and the place of darkness? That you may take its secret places, that you may discern the paths to its home. Have you entered the storehouses of snow, or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I have discerned, the earth and the mighty stubble in the day of battle and of war? What is the way to the place where light is diffused, and where the juices of gladness are found fresh? As for rain, the Father who has begotten the drops of dew, or from whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven, the waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep frozen did you know the ordinance of the heavens of the heavens did you establish their rule on earth did you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you did you send forth lightnings that they may go in favor of secure in law he gives the horse its might he closes nets with the net and he has taken root 
like the locusts in Haiti, just as poorly terrified to laugh at fear of the coming and to not turn back to the Lord. But by your understanding, the hostility of the Jews towards the Christ, that your hand would give them the crust that they most have most rejected, the rocks of love and this way and that. I think of, when I think of God having the hearts of kings in his hands, I think about Alexander the Great. Many of you know him. He's this great Greek conqueror. He, he was incredibly skilled at war. He conquered what was then known as the, as the known world with great power, but just got so far off the beaten path in terms of knowing God and being able to know his Christ. Like the things he was into, we can't talk about was messed up. And yet as he went and conquered, one of the things he brought with him was the Greek language and he wanted everybody to know it. He wanted everybody to learn it. And so the whole known world comes under the influence of this guy and there's a there's a single trade language. There's one tongue by which they can speak. Many of them would have known it. They would have known it by speech or if they could not have read it themselves. followed him, the disciples 
They write it down and they begin to spread it throughout the known world. And it goes like fire. Why? Because it takes
what? There's not an evil thought in his heart because he is better. And he knows what's best for us is for us to depend upon him. So he has charted this course to use the foolishness so that not a single one of us can stand up and say, I earn grace. I earn salvation. I earn justification. Not one of us can stand and do that. Not one of us is smart enough. Not one of us is good enough. But rather, we must depend upon the Lord.
let us respond the way God has intended for us to respond. Father, we come before you in our weak state right now.